0: Well, good morning, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Ryan says that the lights are a little man. They are bright and a great bright light showing around about them. They're a little messed up today. So I just want to let you know if if it looks like that, I've gained a little weight. It's not because I was at my mother's this week and I had biscuits and gravy every day. Thank you, Jesus. It's none of that. That's why I'm wearing black. People go, why do you wear black? Well. It's because it hides a multitude of sin, basically, and so it just makes you look a little. Guys with my build, we don't wear like we don't wear horizontal stripes. It doesn't work, right? So everything's vertical. It just keeps elongating the body. I'm just giving all my secrets away. Plus, I'm wearing spanks, so when I get home, it'll pop like a can of biscuits. And uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I did. I was uh, this past week was one of those weeks where uh, crazy, crazy, crazy week. But I this time of the year, I'm typically, I serve on some boards and do some different things. And so I flew Sunday afternoon to Oklahoma City. I had a dinner I had to be at Sunday night. And then I have a board that I serve on in Oklahoma City. I had to be there. Uh, uh, so I just grabbed a car and then I deadheaded it basically to, to Memphis, but I was there and then I had to be in Springfield, Missouri for meetings on Wednesday, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I was at my parents' house Wednesday night, Thursday, and then I was planning on flying home on Friday so I could just kind of have Saturday and then the tornadoes are kicking in, right? So, uh, and so my parents live just outside of Memphis and, uh, it was it was kind of crazy. I, I've grown up like well, hearing tornado sirens and you know, storm shelters and that kind of a deal, so it wasn't like crazy surprising. But you just it's one of those deals where uh, I'm at a basically everything gets shut down and to, there's planes that aren't flying out. I was trying to get, if I could just get to Minneapolis and I, I could drive home from there if I had to. And so everything gets shut down. I'm at a restaurant grabbing some dinner. Uh, I'm staying like at the sixth floor of this hotel, which I thought that's probably not the smartest thing in the world, but whatever, I just, you know, anyhow, to be absent in the body, be present with the Father, Lord, just, you know, whatever. I have eaten well this week. This would be a good time, right? So anyhow, but, uh, but a little crazy, but no. It was just the sirens are going off, but everything was happening north and south. But some of the destruction was wow. The, the town I was actually born in, the high school is completely gone. Uh, just one of those things. People are cleaning up and doing that kind of stuff. And there's not a whole lot you can do other than protect yourself. Uh, but as Ryan said just a minute ago, because of your generosity and the ongoing partnership with Convoy of Hope, uh, you're actually on the ground today. You were there uh, and, uh, in, in the Mississippi and all of that. And so um, kind of a crazy, crazy week, especially with spring break. And so the airports were nuts yesterday and all that good stuff. But it is good to be in Wisconsin. Amen? No? And some of you go, well, we, we did with snow. Yeah, but snow is just snow. It's going to melt. And uh, it's going to be sunny in 75 before you know it. So I know before you know it, just give it a little bit of time. So, anyhow, today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm going to work through just a passage there, verse 35 through 49, so you can just keep it open. And um, we're just doing this two week series of You Can Sit With Me. And at Life Church, we say that Life Church exists to lead people to experience life change in Jesus. That's why we exist. We exist to help people to experience life change through Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is you and I can't change anyone's lives. The truth of the matter is, is that we together can't change anyone's life. The only power that we have is to invite people, as you're going to see, to invite people to come and see Jesus, to experience Jesus, to, to interact with Jesus. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. And, and, I, and you're going to hear me say this multiple times throughout today's message, is that like these little invite cards invite people. Invite people. It, grab these. Somebody took some last week and said, can I have more? You can have as many as we have. You can have whatever. If you need more, we'll, we'll quick copy print you some. We'll do whatever you need. Because, again, when people are invited to an Easter or a Christmas service, they are more likely to come than any other time of the year. Because everything is talking about it. That everything, Everybody kind of knows. But the thing about Easter that's different than Christmas is that the date for Easter changes every year. So people don't really... They don't know when it is, or that, unless you're really kind of connected to church and you're doing what you're doing, which is you're hearing about it, hearing about it, and hearing about it. It's just why you just invite people, invite people, invite people. Last Sunday, we were at a restaurant that our family frequents a lot of times. And so, with the, with the, the check and with a really good tip, don't, don't skip out and just give them this. Uh, if you did that to me, I'd, anyhow. So, just, but we gave them a nice tip, but we know these, and, and just invited them just real low pressure. Hey, love to have you. I don't know if you go to church anywhere, but just this is where we go. And, and I'm the pastor, so it feels a little weird to me to go, hey, why don't you come hear me talk next weekend? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Hey, why don't you, I'm going to stand on the stage for about 35 minutes. There's going to be cameras, and I'm going to be dressed, and just listen to me. It just sounds so, so, I hate doing that part of it, so what I always say is, this is where we go to church. You'll love the pastor. Oh, no, I'm just... <laughs> But this is where we go to church, and so anyhow, I'm just saying, invite people. And that's really what we're talking about. This is what life church is all about, is that the only thing that transforms our life isn't church or programs or people, it's Jesus. But we know that when people come together in the name of Jesus, where two or more gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. And if they ask anything according to his word, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. So we know when we come together, we lift high the name of Jesus. That's the reason why we do praise and worship, because the Bible says that God inhabits, he dwells in, he lives in the praises of his people. And so when we come together and do that, there is this presence of the Lord that's here, and that's what's transformative. That's what changes people's lives. And so, again, we don't have the ability to, but we have the ability to say to other people, come and experience this life change through Jesus. And so, John's Gospel, chapter 1, there's three actions that we see in this passage with three different people, I'm going to point out to you, that do the same thing. Come and see. They point to Jesus. So the first thing is, action that we take, if you're taking notes, is we point. We point. We point. Uh, we point to Jesus. I'm going to explain this. We point to Jesus. As Christ's followers, our words, our actions, our behaviors all point to Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, says it this way. And the next day, John, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. All John does is point to Jesus, but he doesn't point to Jesus as just a good teacher or a wise man. He points to him as the Lamb of God, which is signifying that Jesus is the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for our sin. In that day and age, in that first century context, he is pointing to him as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the, the one that will come and set the nation of Israel and ultimately the world, all of us, free of their sins. And so as Christ followers, it's that simple. I don't have to have a theological degree. I don't have to be able to explain, uh, you know, uh, what happened to the dinosaurs? And, and did Adam and Eve have a, have a belly button? And I don't have to explain all these things that people will ask sometimes to divert you away from. I just have to go, no, that's Jesus. And he's the one that takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus. He's the one that can change you. I can't, I don't know exactly how it works. I just know that, that when he came into my heart and into my life, it changed me forever. So how do you point practically? Well, it's real simple because what happens is, is in your life, you're a Christ follower and Jesus has done this redemptive, this life-changing work in your life. And in the context of that, people will begin to see that change. And when they see that change, what happens is they begin to inquire. And so they, they look like, for instance, your marriage, you, you live differently than everybody else does. There's something different about you. There's something different that's happening. There's, there's this, wow, what, how, you have a great marriage. And instead of just going, thank you, we work really hard on this, and we read a lot of marriage books, and we go to marriage retreats, and we do all this other kind of stuff, and, and my husband or my spouse is so wonderful, or I'm so wonderful, whatever you want to say, you just simply point to Jesus and just go, you know what the, the secret sauce is? And they lean in and go, yeah, it's our relationship with Christ. It's him. I'm telling you. Because we in and of ourselves are very selfish, selfishly motivated people, but when the focus of our life is on Christ, the Bible simply says when we put him first and all these other things in our life come into place. And it's amazing how when my husband and I or my wife and I put Jesus first, how all these other things came together. Maybe you've overcome some type of addiction or some type of behavior or some type of something that holds so people. And and so someone inquires of your sobriety and they just go, man, how did you and what you point to Christ? Yeah, there's some willpower. Yeah, there's some choice. Yeah, there's some decision. But ultimately, God is my strength and he's the one that's helped me. And you point to Jesus. On and on and on in our lives. Even, in, even many of you are, are successful in the various fields and endeavors that you're in. And how do you and how have you been so successful? You point to Christ and go, yeah, I've worked hard and 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 studied and and and, and really have, have educated myself and grown, but ultimately, God has put his super onto my natural. Ultimately, God has crowned my efforts with success. Ultimately, the Bible says that. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, or from heaven above. And God has opened doors that I couldn't open. See, because everybody's looking for the secret sauce. Everybody wants to know, what what's your inside? Everybody wants to know, what, how do you do that? Everybody wants to know, how did you get here? Because everybody struggles, but, but you're able to point to Christ. It's that simple. That's when we talk about this whole uh, pointing to Jesus, seeing life change. Because then what happens, they may not get saved in that moment. They may not give their life to Christ in that moment. But you began to plant a seed. You began to sow a seed. You began to water a seed that's been planted. And all of a sudden, what happens is layer upon layer, God uses that. It takes place, and they begin to think about it and process it. And then they begin to become curious. And then they begin this journey. Because the Holy Spirit is at work drawing them through you, pointing to Christ. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. Second thing that we do is that we bring people. We bring. So we point. Second statement is we bring. This is really deep today, all right? We bring. Going down to verse 40. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John, John the Baptist, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon... Peter and tell him, "We have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus." Now I talked about this a little bit last weekend, but if Andrew hadn't brought Peter to Jesus, we wouldn't have the books of first and Second Peter in the New Testament. If Andrew hadn't brought Peter to Jesus, the, evangel- uh, the evangelization of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, would have been much slower. 3,000 people would not have been saved on the day of Pentecost, and the early church that Peter led would have been leaderless. Andrew has just experienced Jesus and goes to his brother Peter and says, you need to come and see. I just, you, need, you need to meet. This is the Messiah. This is the one. I'm telling you. What's interesting is John points to Jesus, and Andrew begins to follow Jesus. Andrew then encounters Jesus, and he goes to his brother. Now, I don't know if you have siblings. I don't know what your relationship with your siblings are like. I have a brother. My mother said that from the time that we have both been around and were able to crawl and walk, we have been fighting. Uh, She used to go, you boys are driving me nuts. I'm... (laughs) I'm going to have to take some nerve pills. If she's watching this, I'm in deep trouble. Because we had like, we had wood floors with in, in, in the house. And so you could just hear us. Like, it didn't matter. We could be on the top bunk and somebody would say something. And we would throw them from the top bunk to the floor. We broke arms. We black eyes. It was like crazy over. I locked my brother in a chest one time that we didn't have a have a uh, we didn't have a key to. It was a military chest trunk that my dad had, and I said I'll show you because he was mouthy and I was bigger. He could run faster than me because he called me. I was the husky kid. Anybody else? I had to wear the husky jeans. That's right. Thank you. I see the hand in the back. I see that in the back. That just still scars me today. I can't go into like a, like okay. Anyhow, I was just. But he was skinny, and he would just call me names, and, man, when I get a hold of you, I'm going to beat the ever-loving. I'm just like, you know, like we're just brothers, and we would, we would fight. But if someone tried to fight the other one, if someone came from the outside, we would vehemently defend each other, or at least I would defend him. He would run but while well, we defend. <laughs> and, uh, but, but to get really vulnerable with a brother or with a sister or with a sibling sometimes is really difficult to do to get that close to say I'm telling you this is a game changer. You really have to believe in it. It's one thing to tell a friend, it's one thing to tell a coworker, it's one thing to tell someone that's that's a colleague, but to tell a sibling because they know you. They know all the warts. They know everything about you. They know the good, the bad, the ugly. They wouldn't know what no one else sees. They they have stories and dirt on you that no one else has, right? I mean, it's just you've grown up together. And so the reality is, is that, and I see this between Andrew and Peter. I just go, "Wow, there has to be a life change to go. You need to do this," because I, I don't delight do that kind of advice. I, I don't try to get in my brother's business or he in mine. And I mean, we're we're grown men, and and he's forty nine, I'm fifty one. And I mean, even to this day, I mean, it, it, if we tell each other about something, it's really serious. It's really important because we're brothers. And and the truth is, is that when you see this, you just go, wow, this really was a transformative point in Andrew's life, yet he goes to Peter and he tells him. Because if something's that game-changing, you tell your family. Why? Because you want them to experience the same joy, the same peace that you have. And ultimately, when you're talking about Jesus, you want them to experience eternal life. Because you know, especially the older that you get, that this world is not our home. You know that there's something that's on the other side. You know that this life is very, very, very fragile, and you know you can build whatever shelters you want to build to shelter yourself from economic storms, physical storms, emotional storms, but storms in life are going to come, and it rains on the just and on the unjust, on the good and on the bad. God gives and God takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And so when you have something that's that precious, that's that eternal, this relationship with Jesus Christ, this one that takes your sins away, this one that restores you in a right relationship with God, this one that can make you feel so amazing this side of eternity and, and know that your heaven is your home, you don't just keep that to yourself. You share that. You bring people with you. And I know some of you. You you are raised in traditions and in families where this is what you do. Coming to life church is considered religion. You got religion. You well, I don't really know what you're doing at that church because it's not the it's not the maybe the mainline place that you were raised, and so it's a bit suspect. But I'm just telling you, over time, people seeing they your family, they know you and they trust you, and you can bring people to experience life change in Jesus. That's exactly what Andrew does. He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't give a theological lesson. He just says, hey, bro, you've got to experience this. Hey, you've got to come and see this. Hey, you've got to do this. And Peter being his brother goes, okay, let me go. Let me come. Let me see. Third statement is uh, we witness. So we point, we bring, and then we witness. We witness. Verse 43 through 49 says this, Then the next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. So Philip's one of the disciples. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from uh, the town of Bethsaida. And then Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Witness. This is a whole nother level. One thing is pointing to. One, another one is taking your relational capital and, uh, of, of a family member or a close friend and inviting them and saying, hey, why don't you come with me and come and see? And then this third, it's all in this narrative of John chapter 1, uh, this, when, uh, in, in the ministry of Jesus, this narrative now grows to a witness where someone actually gives a verbal witness, a verbal testimony of what they see. That's all a witness is. Think of a witness as you're brought onto a witness stand. All you were there is to tell your view of the story, your side of the details, your truth, if you would. It's your point of view. That's it. You don't have to understand everything. You're not, you're not there to lay out the entire case. You're not there to, to, be the, to be a prosecuting attorney or to be a defense attorney to be able to defend the case and, and, or, or to be able to prosecute the case. No, no, no. All you're there is that this is what I know. This is what I know. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And the person that did that in my life is Jesus. And this is what he did he took my sins away and he restored my life back to me. And I have never been the same. I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you, I've never been the same. That's a witness. They're just telling their story. The thing that I think is powerful about all three of these things, to point, to bring, or to witness, is that our world will never have a problem with that. Even in the pluralistic society that we live in, where many people believe that all roads lead to God and all of this, no one has an issue with your story. No one has an issue with, they may not agree with you, but it's your story. I I don't like this phrase, but it's used a lot, so I'm going to use it and flip the script. It's your truth. And no one can deny your truth because it's your truth. Now, we all know there is absolute truth. There is one truth, but the truth of the matter, no pun intended, is that, is that you have your story, you have your witness, you have your testimony. And that's exactly what Philip does is he begins to witness and tells Nathaniel exactly what's happening and what's going on. If we wanna share the gospel with great confidence, we gotta have 100% confidence in the gospel that's been said. And if Jesus can change your life, why can't he also change the life of your son or your daughter or your neighbor, or your coworker, or friend? He can. It's just you sometimes sharing, you opening your mouth with someone in whom you're having a conversation. And, and people go, but what happens if I get stuck? What happens if they ask, ask me a question that I get stuck on? one? The, Apologetics 101, just simply say this, I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is, and they go back into your narrative. I don't know the answer to that, but, but go back into here. And the truth of the matter is, is that many times in theological questions that come up, we don't have the answers. We we don't know everything. One of the greatest things I learned in seminary was I don't know. Because sometimes there's this need to want to fill the vacuum with kind of be Bible answer man, and 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 it just it we don't know. This side of eternity, we 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 only know what we have. We don't know everything. We know enough. But to say we don't have the full inch enchilada would be a correct statement. And so, so what I, I don't know that, but what I do know is this. But I'm going to bring a witness. And again, this next week, I encourage you, take these invitations and point to Christ by, by inviting someone. Bring someone with you. Hey, man, there's going to be a seat. Why don't you come and sit with me? Or, or, or simply just tell someone. Maybe you're at a place where they're asking or they're inquiring or there's a conversation, but you've been scared to kind of, I don't want to push myself, I don't want to. It's just you're telling them your story. Do you want to hear my story? Sure. Do you want it? I mean, I'm sitting there yesterday at a three-hour delay in Detroit, And I got a guy behind me that's just drinking everything he can because he's on his way to the Masters. And he says, man, I may not remember the next 48 hours, but it's going to be amazing, right? And then I got a guy over here that he's on his way to Fort Lauderdale because he wants to get out of the cold. And I think these are both two bachelor guys. And they're just, they're telling me their truths. And, 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 and I'm not really saying a whole lot. I'm just kind of smiling and kind of nodding and, and just kind of going along and just kind of conversing. And I'm actually on my, my, I'm actually doing my sermon, and I'm just thinking, I hope they don't ask me what I do for a living, because I'm just going to be like, because they're like, hey, man, can I get you a cocktail? I mean, I'm thinking, it is 930 in the morning, and this guy's already just hammering them back, back here, and this guy's, and it's just like, no, I'm good, I'm fine. But I'm just conversing. But they're just talking. Just because you're, I don't know who these guys are. I don't even know their names. But man, because we're in the same space for a few hours in a layover, all of a sudden we're buddies. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm just thinking, people are that hungry. And so if you're going to ask me, I'll tell you. I'm not, now again, I didn't pull out the big Thompson chain reference Bible and put it out there with a the gold letter and look at them and say, I'm just going to preach to you for a minute, sir. If if the trumpet of the Lord would sound and time would be no more, would you go to heaven? Would you go to heaven? I mean, I didn't do that. I just, I'm on my iPad, just looking over notes. Invest and invite. I was thinking about this message, and I'm I'm landing in the plane. The power of invitation. Because many times I think that church people, you, think that, like, the sweet spot of being able to see someone come to faith in Christ is if you're a pastor, or you're a minister. The truth of the matter is, is it's much more difficult for me. Not because of my personality, I can talk to anybody. Not because I don't understand what I'm saying, I completely get it. But because of my profession, sometimes people completely discount me because they think I'm trying to sell them something or I'm trying to, I've got an angle or I've got some whatever. But you, they don't see you coming. Because you're just like them. And if they've had a bad experience with the church, they project all that onto me. If they've had a good experience with the church, then they project all that on me. I'll never forget hitting a little flight one time was a couple of years ago, and a guy in the front seat finally asked me what I did. And this is one of those little bitty puddle jumper two-by-two two seats all the way back, I don't know, 15 rows, and um, sitting right there. And he was still lit from the night before. I mean, he just was. And all of a sudden, he found out I was a pastor, and he starts confessing everything. Like, we were in a private confessional booth, and he was loud, right? <laughs> Will Ferrell, voice modulation. I've got a voice modulation problem. He just was really loud. You could hear him six rows back, and he's telling me everything. And by before the flight ban, would you pray with me? I mean, he, I didn't do anything. I'm having to take my Bose headphones off and go, yes, you heard me? Because I'm trying not to be intrusive. And I'm just listening, and I'm praying with them. This woman about four rows back, when we get off the flight, going to the next flight, she just said, sir, I'm assuming you're a pastor. Yeah, that's pretty evident. (laughs) Confessional booth right here. Did you see my clerical collar? So anyhow, and so she said, I heard everything. She said, I think half the plane did. I said, yes, ma'am. And it was one of those early morning flights where people are just quiet, too. And uh, she said, I was praying for you. There, there are times, thank you, I appreciate that. There are times where it's just, that's it. But they don't see you. They don't, and you have a power because of God. God knows where you are. He knows where you live. He knows, he knows where he's placed you in your family. Some of you would say, man, I just wish I had a different family. I wish my family was raised in church. But, but the reason why you're where you are and that God has brought you into salvation is because he wants you to lead your family to Christ. You're going to be the one that's going to lead them to Christ. You're going to be the Andrew to the Peter. You're going to be the one they're going to listen to. Because they're not going to listen to me, but they're going to listen to you. And some of you, you're like, well, man, I wish I was in different circles or what, da, 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 and this and that. But you're going to be the Philip to a Nathaniel that's going to go, what? Can anything really happen out of good out of Nazareth? I mean, are you sure you got this right? Does it really work this way? And some of you, it's just simply going to point. Hey, I just want to invite you. I just want to invite you, I'd like to invite you. I was thinking about all this and it reminded me of true account, people that I know, that the dad minister, both of the sons ministers, but to know the backstory is to understand the, as Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. See, the dad was an alcoholic, running hard and fast away from God because his father was a preacher. And the last thing he wanted to do was to be a preacher. The last thing he wanted to do was to do that because he had some hard feelings from some things. And he went and he served two tours in Vietnam as a, as a Green Beret. And he saw things that he didn't want. He never unpacked with anyone. Got home, got married. Got married had his family and wanted nothing to do with church. Would work all week, drink on the weekends, fish, hunt, but he had two boys. In the neighborhood in which they lived in, there was a lady that down the street that would go to church on Sunday and she would see those two boys out playing on Sunday morning. Dad was still in bed because he was still trying to sleep off what happened the night before. Mom wasn't really around Outside, But the boys were there. So one day, the mom, the lady in the neighborhood, goes to the mom of these two boys and just said, Hi, I'm I'm so-and-so. I live right down the street. Again, this would have been, you know, years ago. These boys are my age now. And uh, I go to church over here. Name the name of the church. And uh, I just wanted to know if they'd like to go to Sunday school. I, I come right by here, I live right over here, and everybody kind of knew everybody, and it was in a large community, but, you know. And so, so she said, well, no, I don't have a problem with that. She's thinking, the mom was thinking, you know, maybe this will keep the boys outside. They <laughs> were kind of like me and my brother, and, and and so my husband can keep sleeping, and I'll I'll clean the house and do whatever. And so that's that's harmful enough. Then go to Sunday school and go to church. And so the 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 neighbor lady would come by and pick the boys up and would go to church. And the boys were going to church and loved it. Just had a great time. Just a great time. Kids church and the whole deal and just everything. Well, they were doing a big push and they said, hey, hey, kids, you need to invite your moms for Mother's Day. We're going to do a big thing for Mother's Day. So invite your moms for Mother's Day. And everybody invite your moms for Mother's Day. And so the boys come home and, and they're all excited. This is a few weeks before. And mom, you got to come and, and that kind of a deal. And she's like, no, boys, I just, you, this is, for, this is you. And, and this is good. And Miss Smith's picking you up. And, but no, I'm not going to. And they just kept hounding their mom. And of course, the dad was sleeping in on Sunday mornings. So she says, okay, I'll go. And she goes and she gives her life to Christ. And she comes back and she's telling her husband what's been going on, that the boys have been picked up for the last several months by this neighbor lady and and taking them to church. And the dad goes, what? Hard against the church well, I just thought this may be a good idea. And you thought, what woman? I can't believe you did that. And she said, well, I've got, there's more to this. She said, I went last Sunday. You did what? Yeah. And uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to be going to church with the boys and taking them next Sunday. Would you like to go? And he just Cusses one side up and down the other. There'll never be a day I'll go to that blankety blank and those blankety blank people and but da 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 Just. Ah. So for months, for a year, two years, mom, two boys growing up going to church, praying for dad, praying for dad, praying for dad, praying for dad. Praying for dad. And it was an Easter. Everybody's going to church. And the boys, the youngest, looked at his dad and just said, would you go with us today? Just go, we'll sit in the back, we'll do whatever, just go. And he relents and he goes to church. Sits in the back, hard, solemn, doesn't say anything, doesn't move, just sits there. Leaves, doesn't say anything, doesn't talk. comment on the experience, doesn't do anything. And over the course of the next couple of months, he begins to show up occasionally as the boys would hound him about coming to church and coming to church and coming to church. One Sunday, pastor's getting ready to do the invitation, do the prayer at the end. And he said, I, I just sense in my heart that there's someone here. And, and there's a hard heartedness and there's a, a, a pushback and God has been pursuing you all of your life. And I see, and he begins to describe pictures of war. He said, I don't know what this means. I don't know who this is for, but I just, I can't get this. I can't just move on. If that's you, I just want to let you know that God has a plan, of purpose for your life, that he's been pursuing you all of your life, and that you're running, but you quit running. And in that moment, the dad just gets up and bolts out of church like he is mad. And it became very evident in that small community church what was going on. And the boys, they'll tell, they tell the story that they thought, oh, that's it, man. That preacher pushed too hard. The pastor pushed too hard and whatever. Service went on and there was just a time of prayer. And so mom brought the boys down, knowing what was going on, they began to pray for the father. And about 30 minutes later, the dad comes back in the room, tears streaming down his face, walks all the way down to the front, grabs the preacher by the lapels and said, that's me. I have been running from God my entire life. I went into the military to get away from this world. My dad was a preacher. I wanted nothing to do with the church, but I knew as a young boy that God had called me and I was hard and I've tried to drink this out. I've tried to to drug this out. I've tried to get as far as I could from this and it's like it doesn't matter where I go, God pursues me. And he just collapses. And then just, the sons say, we've never seen our dad cry before. And just wept, just broke and gave his life to Christ. I never knew him like that. I knew him as a pastor. I knew his sons, they were my age, going to Bible college and in ministry. All of that happened because of a neighbor lady seeing two boys playing outside on a Sunday morning, week in and week out, knocked on the door and asked the mom, we've got a kids program at our church. would love to pick them up with the other kids and take them to church. Could they come with us? Come and see. Here is my story. Here is my witness just pointing to Jesus. You have no idea how God and the Holy Spirit are working behind the scenes with people in your neighborhood, people at your work, people at your school. And all they're looking for is God is speaking to your heart about inviting someone. And I encourage you in the next six days between now and Easter Sunday, take one of these cards, make it a matter of prayer and invite someone. You don't know what God has been doing you don't know. And what, what if they don't come? It's just another layering of an opportunity to invite someone to experience life change in Jesus. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you today for your word and how simple it is for us to tell people about you. I don't have to have a great theological understanding. I don't have to have, I don't have, to have anything more than a personal experience of life change with you. And that doesn't even have to be dramatic. But God, when I'm willing to do what you've called me to do, when I'm willing to point people to you, when I'm willing to to bring people to you, when I'm willing to just be a witness of what I see and what I know and what the truth is, you work in all of those things in order so that people come to a saving knowledge of you. I pray today, help us, Lord. Lay on our hearts, people, in our neighborhood in our friend sphere of influence, at our school, at our work, in our community that are far away from you. This isn't about just passing out an invitation like a ticket to an event. This is just inviting someone. Hey, come and sit with me. Hey, would love to have you come and join me Easter Sunday, even if it means I'm inconveniencing myself. And Lord, as, I, as I'm praying today and as I preach today, I sense that there are people when I talked about family, they're concerned, they're frustrated, they're intimidated to invite their family to come because what about this and what about this? But there's this gnawing sense inside of them that they need to do just that because of the work that you've done in their life. Not because of life, church, but because of you, Jesus. I pray, God, for those individuals that will be like Andrew to Peter that will go to a family member that's really tough to do and to say, come and see. Just invite them to come to church with them next weekend for Easter Sunday. And Father, I pray that in all of our weekend gatherings, all 10 different experiences that are gonna happen over the course of of our campuses next weekend, that Lord, people would come to a saving knowledge of who you are, Jesus that you would draw people by the Holy Spirit and that life change would happen, not because of me, not because of us, but because of you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.